Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports, Lou Dobbs, Business. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me. Five o'clock. Good morning. It is Tuesday, June 6. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Clouds this morning. Could see some rain this afternoon. High 79. Tonight, overnight clear low 59 and then wednesday sun and clouds high 77 if you're walking out the door with us right now 56 and partly cloudy in new city up in rockland county 53 and partly cloudy down in hopewell new jersey and it is 61 and hazy here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up. Six o'clock hour, Sid and friends in the morning. When I was a kid, I was a terrible student. And so uh, the teachers would send home notes to say that I wasn't doing well in school. But the one thing I was smart enough to do is I would figure out the timeline of when that letter might show up and I'd make it to the mailbox before my parents did so they wouldn't see that note so I wouldn't be punished. And I'd rip it up and throw it away, which was just a stupid move anyway because eventually it all came back to haunt me. So I tell you that story because I was surprised that my own kid didn't think to do that. I go to the mailbox yesterday and I open up the mail and I see there's something from his high school. I think it has something to do with the end of the year, but it is a letter. <laughs> I laugh, but I'm not that happy about this. It is a letter from essentially the truant officer of our town that this child of mine, one of my children, has missed so many days of school that now I have to go into the school to meet with them to explain why he's missed so many of those days. And as you might guess, I wasn't aware about a fair amount of them. So now I had to confront him last night, which made for an interesting conversation. I said, here, read this letter that I got from the school district about how I have to... They don't call them truant officers, by the way, anymore, at least in this school district. It's something a little bit more uh, laid back. But um, so how exciting is this? Uh, and a very proud moment for me is I will spend part of my afternoon meeting with the, well, I don't remember what they call it, but meeting with the truant officer to explain uh, why my child's not showing up for school. And don't, in the old days, didn't they arrest you, right? I think the tru- they would arrest the parents if the kid didn't show up to school. That would make for a great moment, wouldn't it? I'd be arrested not knowing that my kid hadn't shown up. So uh, I have to figure out the punishment. I haven't done that yet. And then how to enforce it. And uh, but in the meantime, I'm a little nervous about this meeting. I'll let you know. <laughs> I'll let you know how it goes. Uh, who thought? You know, my mother used to always say this: it's not easy raising kids. And uh, yesterday proved that to be absolutely true. All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. We are learning more about a Long Island family killed in a bizarre plane crash. Mayor Adam wants you to know to take migrants into your home. Governor Christie will make his bid for the White House official today. 
Tenants in rate-stabilized apartments made some noise last night. And a Long Island man and his obsession with the price is right. All right, let's get into it. 503, we'll start with the federal investigation into what caused that deadly crash of a plane that was intercepted by U.S. fighter jets over Washington, D.C. Four people from the Hamptons, Long Island area aboard that plane that crashed. Officials with the NTSB spending all day yesterday at the remote crash site near Montebello, Virginia, assessing the wreckage. It will be a lengthy process given the location and the terrain that the airplane impacted. But from there, the investigation will continue. The wreckage will be recovered to a secure facility in Delaware. A senior NTSB investigator describing this plane as destroyed. Not much left. We spent all day today looking at the wreckage. It was uh, in a very remote area, in a very difficult area to get to. The wreckage is destroyed, meaning that... It is no longer distinguishable as an aircraft. Now, if you weren't following this story, this plane, uh, Cessna, small plane, four people on board, uh, went into restricted airspace over D.C. They sent F-16 fighter jets to intercept. Departure, Cosmic Zero 2 is Air 1 with an active alert scramble. Cosmic Zero 2, Atlantic City, departure. I'm looking for an on-course heading of 040. Flight 1, thanks. Your radar contact climb to maintain 17,000. The jet's racing so fast to catch up with the Cessna because they didn't know what was going on that they actually caused sonic booms over Washington, D.C. Lots of people hearing that, wondering what was going on. When they did catch up with the plane, they saw that the pilot was knocked out. I mean, he was just lying in that seat, and they knew that was not good news. Uh, the White House was told about this. Uh, yesterday, they were offering their condolences to the family of the loved ones. I, I do want to express our deepest condolences uh, to the family members, the loved ones of those uh, who died in that crash. Uh, just just terrible. Terrible news. Nobody wants to get that. And we need to keep them front and center. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby there telling us that uh, six F-16s from three different air bases were launched to intercept this Cessna Cessna because it was over the Washington, D.C. area. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, that's all it takes is a quick call on the radio. Hey, you're, 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 you're getting into some airspace you don't, you don't need to be in, and, and usually that takes care of it. Yeah, the towers called this plane, but there was no response. So the god-awful part of the story, Adina Azarian, 49 years old, an accomplished real estate agent in the Hamptons. She was aboard this plane with her two-year-old toddler, her live-in nanny, and, of course, the pilot who was aboard this. Here were some of the neighbors yesterday as talking about this family they knew well they were just such a wonderful close-knit little family i mean they were really such a bright spot in the neighborhood very sweet always stop say hello and you know we'd, i'd pet the dog who'd come running and adina azarian leaves behind really heartbroken parents who had already lost a daughter a number of years ago uh, here's the father john rumpel he spoke to cbs yesterday i never met a sweeter person than adina John Rumpel explaining to CBS yesterday that uh, his daughter Victoria died in a scuba diving accident back in 1994. No, no parents should know the pain of two daughters uh, passing away. Here's the mother. We'd like to thank everyone who has reached out with words of comfort. We're also very grateful for the efforts of the first responders 
We'll follow this story, of course, as it goes on, as they do this investigation to figure out what exactly took place aboard that plane. WABC News Time 509. Let's go down to Washington, D.C. The House Oversight Chairman beginning the process to hold FBI Director Christopher Wray in contempt of Congress. It's all about this document that claims President Biden was involved in a criminal bribery scheme. Uh, Ray uh, is apparently not willing to hand over this document to Republican Congressman James Comer and the House Oversight Committee. So James Comer says they're going to go after the FBI director. The confidential human source who provided information about then Vice President Biden being involved in a criminal bribery scheme is a trusted, highly credible informant who has been used by the FBI for over 10 years. Comer says the and has been paid. Over six Didn't mean to step on you there, Congressman. The uh, Republican congressman says the FBI refused to hand over the unclassified record to the House panel. He says they've asked for it many times. Time to hand it over. At the briefing, the FBI again refused to hand over the unclassified record to the custody of the House Oversight Committee. And we will now initiate contempt of Congress hearings this Thursday. So Democrats say there's nothing to this story. It's just politics. But Republicans on this House Oversight Committee say, no, let's well, let's see the documents, find out what's in it all. Uh, the uh, congressman says more and more times when you hear stories like this, he says, where the FBI is not handing over documents that the Congress is asking for. It's all about trust. Americans have less trust in the FBI when this happens. Americans have lost trust in the FBI's ability to enforce the law impartially and demand answers transparency and accountability. All right, let's go out to China. China's military becoming increasingly aggressive in the Taiwan Strait, also in the South China Sea, aggressive towards us, the U.S. These are uh, part and parcel of uh, an increasing level of aggressiveness by uh, the PLA, the PRC's military. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby there telling reporters yesterday a Chinese warship came dangerously close to a U.S. Navy destroyer over the weekend. Uh, Kirby says uh, this kind of thing can't happen. Um, and sadly, this is just part, uh, again, of a growing aggressiveness by the PRC that we're that we're dealing with and we're prepared to address it. And he wants to keep this channel of communication open with China so they can have a back and forth on things when things like this happen. Um, and we're going to continue to keep the lines open with the Chinese to make it clear how unacceptable those particular intercepts are. All right, let's go a little further away. Secretary of State Antony Blinken talking about Israel's ties with the U.S. He spoke at the APAC conference, which is a pro-Israel lobby yesterday. Today... Today, we celebrate 75 years of the U.S.-Israeli partnership. Uh, he says the Biden administration uh, vigorously pushing back against anti-Israel efforts and anti-Semitism around the world. That partnership touches on every aspect of our lives, from security to business, from energy to public health. Our ties have not only delivered for one another but for countries around the world. All right, 513, let's go down to Florida. Jury selection continues ahead of the trial of the Parkland School resource officer that was on duty 
2018, during the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High mass shooting that took place, he did not do his job on that day. Judge Martin Fine reading the charges against former Broward Sheriff's Office Deputy Deputy Scott Peterson. And that Scott Peterson failed to make reasonable effort to protect Joaquin Oliver from the abuse, neglect, or exploitation by another person. Peterson faces 11 charges in all. Six jurors, four alternates will be selected after attorneys for both sides question the 55 men and women who were called back. Last week, they agreed they could potentially stay on a case through mid-August. They want to get this right before they start the trial. So the judge, if you say you have kids at home you need to take care of, he says, okay, go. You have a summer vacation? Okay, go. And so they've narrowed it down to this 55 pool. It is not a law enforcement officer that decides if they are guilty or not guilty. It's not a judge that decides if they're guilty or not guilty. It's not a lawyer that decides if they're guilty or not guilty. Who is going to make that decision? You all, you are going to make that decision. That's Judge Martin Fine, who's been talking to the jury every day, saying this is a big deal, and I want people who are committed to being here every day and through the entire trial. Juror number 55, you can do that. You can presume him innocent. Yes, I can. No problem. No problem. All right, pass that mic to your neighbor right there. Juror number 54, you can do that as well. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's been, uh, uh, I wouldn't say fun's the wrong word. It's been interesting to watch Judge Martin Fine, because you have the cameras in the courtroom, through this process of going through the jury pool. And then, of course, the attorneys will have at it as well, where they can let people go, keep them on. But he doesn't want any mistrial. He wants this case to go through. He knows the all eyes, especially in Florida, after this mass shooting, are on this case. And so he's been uh, really going easy on these uh, jurors, but on the ones who have committed to staying with the trial, he says, hey, you have to really give a commitment that you'll stay to this entire thing through the whole process. Pay attention when you're sitting in the jury box as well. All right, 515. Let's head over to the 77W ABC Sports Desk. Say good morning, Justin Ellick. Good morning, Noma Layton. We'll start on the ice here. That's where the action was. The Vegas Golden Knights continued their Game 1 dominance of the Florida Panthers in this year's Stanley Cup play, uh, not playoff finals, uh, doing themselves in Game 2 last night to the tune of a 7-2 shellacking on home ice. In fact, no team in over 25 years has been more dominant than the Golden Knights through the first two games of a Stanley Cup final. They're outscoring of Florida by a margin of eight goals thus far. The last team to win the first two games of a cup final by more than eight combined goals was the 1996 Colorado Avalanche, who, interestingly enough, outscored those Florida Panthers by nine that year. Things won't get easier for this year's Panthers either, as the series now shifts to the Sin City, where they'll have to try and steal game three on the road. Come Thursday night, no baseball action yesterday, but both the Mets and Yankees are back at it tonight. The Mets opened a three-game set uh, uh, in Atlanta against the first-place Braves at 7.20 p.m. Eastern Time. Tab and Carlos Carrasco to go up against Atlanta's Bryce Elder. As for the Yanks, they'll welcome in the Chicago White Sox for the first of, uh, short two-game set at 7.05 p.m. tonight. That'll be Clark Schmidt getting the start against Chicago's Lucas Giolito. And looking ahead to the return to the hardwood tonight in Miami, where the Heat and Denver Nuggets will meet for Game 3 of the NBA Finals at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time the series is currently tied at one game apiece. Now, finally, up north in Buffalo, where yesterday ground was broken on the Buffalo Bills' new $1.54 billion stadium. The agreement uh, includes a 30-year lease and a non-relocation agreement that makes it difficult, nearly impossible, for the team to leave Buffalo in that time span. And the new stadium will officially also be called Highmark Stadium, just like its predecessor. Construction, no, on the new stadium. This is expected to be completed in 2026. Get your season tickets. Is it a covered stadium? 
No, it's open air. Really? Yeah. You would think like, you know, hey, it's cold in Buffalo. Yeah, but they I, but that's like the whole identity of being a Buffalo I Bill. Guess. It's like you play in the snow. Yeah, but you know, more people might show. No. No. Right. We want football in the snow. Okay. No, I agree, <laughs> but you know, you like Minneapolis. They, I get it, but then the what? Everybody's just gonna be playing on turf and in perfect conditions. That's yeah. not the way football okay. was meant to no, be. No, I don't disagree with you. I just thought maybe they would think about doing that. No. But I guess apparently that was I'm glad they didn't. Okay. Uh, please, right. please ask him again. Yeah. Yeah. Did they think about covering the stadium? <laughs> no. <Okay>. No. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Justin. WABC News Time 519. Let's go up to New Hampshire, where former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie expected to launch his second campaign for the Republican nomination for the White House today. Christie planning to make the announcement during an evening town hall at St. Anselm College's New Hampshire Institute of Politics. Everybody's sort of weighing in on this campaign. Political analysts say Christie will be the one that will take on Donald Trump directly in a bid to take him down. Everyone else, from Ron DeSantis on down, has been trying to you know, tiptoe around Trump. Christie's the one saying, I am actually going to take Trump on. I'm going to criticize Trump. And he's hoping that there's a there's a market for that. Christie advisor started a super political action committee to support his candidacy in New Jersey. As you might guess, people are split over his candidacy for the White House. He was a horrible governor. He'll make a horrible president. He is a big bully. He is concerned with America. He wants the best for our country. I hope, you know, he can do the best he can. Right now, it does not look fantastic if you look at the polls anyway. Christie does not have high marks in a poll. As he gets set to announce this run for the White House, a Monmouth University poll that came out last week shows Christie with a 47% unfavorable rating among registered Republicans, those who lean towards the GOP as well. That's the um, highest uh, unfavorability rating among all the presidential hopefuls that were tested in this poll. And this is everybody who is either anticipated to jump in the race, like somebody like Mike Pence, uh, again, and people who are already in the race. So uh, he'd have to get past that high bar, 47% unfavorable among Republicans polled in that Monmouth University survey. And then you had uh, South Carolina Senator uh, Tim Scott, who made his bid for the White House official last week. He had this back and forth with with the women on The View yesterday. He appeared on the show after hosts Whoopi Goldberg, Sonny Houston, and Joy Behar, argue, uh, Behar argued last week that uh, Scott doesn't get systematic racism. And uh, so he pushed back against that idea. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. Yeah, so uh, here in uh, very liberal New York, uh, he did not get that great of a reception from the audience. He was booed at times during this thing yesterday. I will tell you that if my life is the exception, uh, I can't imagine. But, but, I can't, but it is. But it's not, actually. Here's, here's, it's been here's 114 my, years. Yeah, so but I thought he started off on the, wrong, on the right foot on that issue. It is 100 <laughs> oh, No, 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 not here. I'm sorry, sir. Do not boo. This is the view. Yeah, all right, so it's always a little bit of a tough audience uh, if you're a Republican showing up on The View. You had a former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley making her pitch for the White House during a CNN town hall. Americans are tired. They want to see a government work for them again. They want to see results happen. Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis says he can change the direction of America. He was all over the place over the last couple of days. Uh, South Carolina, Iowa, New Hampshire. I think American decline is a choice. Uh, and I'm running for president because I think if we choose another path, 
we can restore American greatness. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson says he was happy to be part of a Republican event in Iowa. I mean, this is the first occasion really to uh, talk about my background, experience, vision for America. They were all taking part, or many of them, outside of Donald Trump, in a weekend event sponsored by Iowa Republican Senator Joni Ernst, who says uh, after seeing everybody rifle through Iowa over the weekend, she says she feels very hopeful about the Republicans taking back the White House. They are hungering for a change. And all of these candidates presented an exceptional pathway to the White House in 2024. Meanwhile, lawyers for former President Trump yesterday meeting with Justice Department officials and special counsel Jack Smith. The meeting in Washington, D.C. comes as Smith's investigation into Trump's alleged mishandling of classified documents is said to be nearing the end. CBS first reported the meeting and tweeted a photo of one of the attorneys entering the DOJ headquarters. It comes after a public request for a meeting from Trump's team about what they call prosecutorial misconduct. Meantime, the federal grand jury in the case is expected to meet this week. I'm Brian Shook. And then you have Republicans who've been watching from the sidelines, uh, lawmakers, senators, uh, Congress members who are trying to decide if they want to jump in and endorse somebody or if it's too early. South Carolina Congresswoman Nancy Mace was on with Sid on Sid and Friends in the morning yesterday. And uh, she said she's amazed that Democratic Party leaders continue to push President Biden to run at his age. He may be very smart, be with it on some days, but then on other days, he's just not. And I don't believe that's what the American people want. And when you look at the polling, even within Democrats, 60 percent or so don't want him to run again. I mean, he should be enjoying his days, looking at the surf. Mace, who was firmly in the Donald Trump camp in 2016 and 2020, not ready to endorse any fellow Republican in the race for the White House just yet. 525, let's bring it back home. Tenants here in New York City's rent-stabilized apartments making their voices heard last night. They attended the first of our four public hearings on the Rent Guidelines Board's proposed increases for lease renewals. Last month, the board took an initial vote to hike rents by 2 to 5% on one-year leases and 4 to 7% on two-year leases. And this affects about a million people. A vinyl vote will take place on June 21st. But uh, the renters who are upset, they were out at this meeting last night. With that increase, I will not be able to pay my bills, especially the rent. $60 takes away from medication. $60 takes away from food. $60 takes away from basic need, car and air. Of course, landlords took part in this meeting as well. A lot of them remember, sometimes when people think about landlords in New York City, they think about these gigantic buildings. And those people are important, too. But a lot of the landlords who uh, uh, own these buildings where people live in them that are rent-stabilized are small-time owners. They're small business owners. And they say the rising costs of owning these buildings and paying taxes to the city, they need this hike just to get by. Property taxes, energy costs skyrocketing insurance premiums. These are the main drivers of increased costs in buildings. The next public hearing is Thursday. It's going to be a Jamaica, Queens. Then they're going to do an all-virtual public hearing. That's going to be on June 13th. And then one on June 15th at St. Francis College in Brooklyn. Like a lot of times when the MTA does these public hearings, nothing changes, right? They initially put out, we're going to you know, raise the subway a quarter or whatever it is. You can yell and scream and then they end up doing it. 
with the rent guidelines board actually sometimes does make a difference. They'll hold these public hearings, and then when they take the final vote, which they're going to do at the end of the month, sometimes they change the numbers, either lowering them or raising them. So we'll watch that. And then once they make that final decision on what the rent hike is, it'll be implemented come this fall. We are just getting started on this Tuesday morning as we work our way up. Six o'clock hour, Sid and friends in the morning. Before we head out on this Tuesday morning, we'll tell you why Mayor Adams is trying to convince regular New Yorkers to take migrants into their homes and what it might be worth to you. Uh, Instead of snacks, a new vending machine in Brooklyn is stocked with some stuff you're going to want to hear about. A peculiar, uh, a strange, I can't say that word, a strange crime wave across West Orange, New Jersey has some homeowners wanting, doing, wondering what they can do to protect their cars. And a Long Island man and his obsession with the show The Price is Right. That and more coming up. But first, this at 529. The 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden on 77 WABC. More people jumpstart their morning listening to number one rated Sid and Friends in the Morning. Weekdays at 6. Brian Kilmeade at 10. 12.01. Curtis Lewa. 1. Greg Kelly. 3. Rudy Giuliani. 4. Host Nerdly's Rush Hour. 5. Cats and Cosby. Mark Levin at 6. Bill O'Reilly at 9. Rita Cosby at 10. Dominic Carter at midnight. Then, the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is 7. 77 WABC. Talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. This is the 77 WABC News Hour with Noah Layden. Yep, that's me, 531. Good morning. It is Tuesday, June 6th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Clouds this morning. Could see a shower this afternoon. High 79. Tonight, overnight, clear. Low 59. And then Wednesday, sun and clouds. High 77. If you're walking out with the door with, uh, door with us right now, it is 56 and partly cloudy. A new city up in Rockland County. 53. And partly cloudy in Hopewell down in New Jersey. And it is 60 and hazy here in Midtown. We'll start this half hour right here in the city. New York City going to partner with face-based organizations to house nearly 1,000 migrants. Mayor Adams says 50 houses of worship across the city will offer overnight shelter to single adult men as part of a two-year agreement with City Hall. No matter what faith you practice, uh, it is in all of our faith that we are supposed to care for those who are in need. Not only is it on the Statue of Liberty, but it is on our text that we look and read. City will pay places of worship $65 per night for each migrant under their roof. New York City's already spent $1.2 billion on those arriving from the U.S.-Mexico border. That's with more migrants on the way, by the way. The faith community stands ready to work with New York City in order to support migrants who are here. Mayor Adams yesterday also calling on the federal government to expedite work authorization papers for the migrants. To come to this country and you're told that you cannot work is just unfair to those who are picking up the course and is unfair to those who came here to pursue the American dream. And with thousands more migrants potentially coming to New York City, Mayor Adams 
floating an interesting idea to help accommodate them. He's going to ask regular New Yorkers, you and me, who may have a spare room to shelter some of these migrants. He'll pay you for it, by the way. It is my vision uh, to take the next step to this, go to the faith-based locales, and then move to private residence. So the plan is to pay city homeowners to house them, perhaps 100 bucks a night or more. And for some people, you know, that would be real money. There are residents who are suffering right now because of economic challenges. They have spare rooms. It's cheaper and it's a good investment for us to go to a uh, a family and assist them instead of placing people in large congregate settings or in these emergency hotels. It's sort of like Airbnb for the migrants. Uh, Meanwhile, up in White Plains, that's the latest municipality in Westchester to take migrants from the southern border. Mayor Thomas Roach says 46 people made up of families and kids under five years old from Venezuela, Ecuador, Peru and Haiti arrived at the Central Motel Courtyard. They're currently occupying 16 rooms there. But New York City apparently is contracted for 29 rooms. In fact, we were watching yesterday as they were moving mattresses around and repainting some of these rooms. Uh, the mayor says uh, he welcomes them to White Plains. Everyone wants to work together on this. Uh, for the best possible outcome. Let's make sure these pe- that the people involved are treated with care and, and a warm heart. There's been, of course, another number of counties that have said, no, we don't want the migrants. Uh, Rockland, Orange, uh, Suffolk, Nassau County. But in Westchester, they have been taking bus loads in. It started at the Ramada in about three or four weeks ago in Yonkers. Uh, they've been sending overflow of migrants from the city to the northern suburbs. Mayor Roach says... Uh, White Plains will do everything to create a welcoming environment. These are people, these are families that are they're going to be in our city, and, and we want to make sure that they have their dignity. And so far, Mayor Roach says this New York City is covering the cost of housing and care, at least for the next uh, months on end. That's what at least he's being told. And that goes on as an investigation underway. After more than a dozen migrants from South America were taken to the Catholic Diocese of Sacramento, California, by a private plane. They haven't figured this story out yet, but the Attorney General of California says these people that got off this private plane were carrying documents that appeared to be issued by the state of Florida. It's called their Voluntary Transportation Program, and they've hired virtual systems the state of Florida has to uh, identify migrants in Texas, not in Florida, in Texas, and move them to other states. So the question is, who paid for this flight, a private plane? California Governor Gavin Newsom says the 16 Venezuelan, Colombian uh, migrants were originally in Texas. Newsom working with the State Department of Justice to find out who paid for it all. It's potentially illegal. It could violate criminal laws. It could violate civil laws. So we're continuing our investigation. We'll get to the bottom of that. We want accountability. And Gra- uh, Gabby Trejo, she's the executive director of the Sacramento Area Congregations Together, is an organization that is helping to house the migrants. Uh, so she says they were there with food, clothing, housing, uh, even cell phones, by the way, for these migrants who arrived in California and Sacramento. They quickly realized they were the lucky ones that landed in a community that actually cares about their well-being. Yeah, well, lucky they got their cell phones. These must be nice. 537, traffic, transit, weather on the 7th. Here's Joe Nolan. <laughs> sure, give him a phone. Give him a phone. Give him a phone. A private man. plane. They could yeah. take a private plane. Get him him a box out at City Field. You know, we're good. Let's go. (laughs) I'm thinking about uh, escaping to Mexico and then crossing back over. (laughs) (laughs) WABC News Time 539. Did you 
go to one of these subway stations where they've installed these platform gates. It is a trial program, $100 million pilot project catching New Yorkers' attention. Think of it this way, if you haven't seen it. They put up essentially a glass wall that goes from the platform to the ceiling across the entire length of the platform. And the only places where the doors open are where the subway lines up. Think about maybe you've taken the monorail at Newark Airport or some of these airports where uh, monorail comes in and these glass doors open and you get on. So in other words, it would prevent people from getting onto the tracks or being pushed or shoved on to the tracks. So New Yorkers were checking out in some of these subway stations yesterday where they're doing this pilot program here's what they thought i think that's money well spent being more safe why not sure if you can't get to the tracks then you can't fall onto them i think we definitely need some infrastructure upgrades whether that should be at the top of the priority list right now that's a, another question the city's yet to award the contract but hopes to get construction underway in the next few months the gates would be installed at times square 42nd street station um at a station and two stations in uh, brooklyn and another one on uh, upper manhattan so we'll watch see but w- what they were showing off yesterday was awfully interesting Let's go out to New Jersey. New Jersey putting $20 million into making a critical infrastructure investment regarding uh, wastewater. Governor Murphy says the money will go towards a two-part project in Monmouth County, which includes replacing more than 3,000 feet of sewer lines. I know infrastructure like sewer lines and water pumps may not seem exciting, but this is a big deal for the 90,000 people across a dozen towns and two military bases that rely on the system it is every day. A, it is a huge deal. So many of these sewer lines, these pipes underneath are more than 100 years old. Murphy says it's all to safeguard the 12 surrounding communities from future storms, make sure the water goes on, you turn on the faucet. And both of these actions will protect the infrastructure from future storms and make this system more climate resilient. All right, let's go out to West Orange, New Jersey. A crime wave moving through West Orange, leaving residents on edge. So here's what they're doing. Thieves are breaking into homes overnight, but they're not looking for cash or valuables. They want somebody to be in the house because what they're looking for are key fobs for the cars, the pricey, expensive cars that are in the driveway. Police say it keeps happening. They've already investigated at least eight break-ins and thefts just in the last few months. Uh, so the person somehow gets into the house, maybe through an open garage, maybe through a back door, and they search the house with people inside, by the way, for the key fob and then steal the car. It happened to this guy. The lights were all off, so they found it in the dark. I don't know if they got some type of tracer. They could track the signal or whatever. Right? I thought they were playing a joke, like they moved the car. They said, no, we didn't touch the car. So I said, I went to look for the key fob, couldn't find the key fob, and... Now call the police right away. In that guy's case, it was an Audi that he had rented. It was a car rental that these people ripped off. Uh, Harold Ross, he lives in West Orange as well. And he says uh, now he's double checking his locks at night because he's worried about this. And he probably should be. It's definitely like something that the neighbors, uh, neighborhood's been talking about. They've been holding a couple meetings uh, up the hill, uh, just making sure everyone stays focused on like keeping their doors locked. So apparently this problem not limited to West Orange, nearby Livingston, New Jersey. They had six break-ins alone just last week. And just yesterday, someone broke into a house and found the keys to an Audi and drove off, drove away with it. I've just 
just been hearing about, you know, the break-ins with the key fobs and just stealing cars, and I'm a little worried. I feel like it hasn't been completely taken seriously when it started out, and now that it's starting to get out of control a little bit, they're starting to recognize it as a problem. Yeah, police say they're all over it. They're, you know, driving the late-night patrol looking for these guys who are breaking into homes trying to steal cars. Instead of snacks, a new vending machine in Brooklyn is stocked with Narcan. That is the drug that will wake up a sleeping addict who's fallen asleep and stopped breathing. They're also loaded with fentanyl test strips. The uh, potentially life-saving products available for free on the corner of Broadway and Decatur Avenue. That's in Ocean Hill, where apparently drug overdoses continue to be a huge problem. So health officials put up this vending machine uh, over the weekend. Uh, the commissioner of the city department of health was there yesterday describing what's in this machine and how it all works. I think they'll be surprised to find that this is a public health vending machine. I think that's a great thing. It'll start conversations, hopefully uh, get people talking. The vending machine at 1676 Broadway, the first of four that will be installed in neighborhoods with New York City's highest overdose rates. Users simply enter your zip code and then you select what you need. No charge. In 2021, the city counted a record of almost 3,000 overdose deaths, and statistics in 22 are expected to be even more grim when the tally is finally done. So the hope is that maybe they can save some lives with Narcan easily available in neighborhoods where it's not usually available. It'll have safe smoking kits, safe sniffing kits, safe injection kits. It shouldn't be luck or privilege that gets you into services. It should be easily accessible to everyone we know and love. The vending machine's part of Mayor Adams' plan to reduce overdose to deaths by 15% by 2025. By the way, these vending machines have been successful and are being used in Philadelphia and Cincinnati. So that's apparently where they got the idea from. All right, 545. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk and Justin Edding. Thank you, Noam Allen. And we'll start on the ice to the biggest school. The Knights continue their game one dominance of the Florida Panthers in this year's Stanley Cup Finals. Outdoing themselves in game two last night for the tune of a 7-2 show lacking on home ice. In fact... No team in over 25 years has been more dominant than the Golden Knights through the first two games of a Stanley Cup final with their outscoring of Florida by a margin of eight goals thus far. The last team to win the first two games of a Cup final by more than eight combined goals was the 1996 Colorado Avalanche, who, interestingly enough, outscored those Florida Panthers by nine that year. Things won't get easier for this year's Panthers squad either as the series now shifts to the Sin City. Well, they'll have to try and steal game three on the road come Thursday night. No baseball action yesterday, but both the Mets and Yankees are back at it tonight. The Mets open up a three-game series in Atlanta against the first-place Braves at 7.20 p.m. Eastern time, tabbing Carlos Carrasco to go up against Atlanta's Bryce Elder. As for the Yanks, they'll welcome in the Chicago White Sox for the first of a short two-game set at 7.05 p.m. tonight. That'll be Clark Schmidt getting the start against Chicago's Lucas Giolito and looking ahead to uh, the return of hardwood action tomorrow night in Miami where the Heat and Denver Nuggets will meet for Game 3 of the NBA Finals, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. That's tomorrow night. Series currently tied at one game apiece. Now finally up in North up north to Buffalo, where yesterday ground was broken on the Buffalo Bills' new $1.5 billion, $1.54 billion stadium. The new agreements include a 30-year lease and a non-relocation agreement that makes it difficult for the team to leave Buffalo. And the new stadium will officially also be called Highmark Stadium, just like its predecessor. Construction on the new stadium is expected to be completed in 2026. And yes, no, I know you're wondering, but it is an outdoor stadium. So they'll be playing in the snow. 
like they should be. Who's Highmark? Is that a corporation or something? Yeah, some sort of sponsor. Hmm. Yeah, right. exactly. Uh, and that's Justin Ellick with sports, you know? Uh, let's catch you up on the big stories of the morning. One of the bigger ones over the last 24 hours is the Cessna that was flying from down south to Long Island. And it went into restricted airspace over D.C. Sunday afternoon. F-16s were put up to follow it. Uh, they realized the pilot was unconscious. Uh, the plane eventually crashed. Yesterday, the NTSB spent all Monday at the remote crash site. This is near Montebello, Virginia, assessing the wreckage. It will be a lengthy process given the location and the terrain that the airplane impacted. But from there, the investigation will continue. The wreckage will be recovered to a secure facility in Delaware. Hey, a senior NTSB investigator describing the plane as destroyed. Those are his words, noting what remained was not even recognizable as an aircraft. We spent all day today looking at the wreckage. It was uh, in a very remote area, in a very difficult area to get to. The wreckage is destroyed, meaning that it is no longer distinguishable as an aircraft. And it was on Sunday that those U.S. fighter jets were sent to check this plane out when it went into restricted airspace. And uh, they weren't responding to messages from air traffic control. Departure Cosmic Zero 2 is Air 1 with an active alert scramble. Cosmic Zero 2 Atlantic City departure. I'm looking for an encore setting of 040. One, thanks. Your radar contact climb and maintain one seven thousand. Those jets screaming to catch up with the Cessna, which they did, by the way. Uh, so much so that they caused sonic booms over D.C. The White House offering condolences to the four on board. I, I do want to express our deepest condolences uh, to the family members, the loved ones of those uh, who died in that crash. Uh, just, just terrible, terrible news. Nobody wants to get that, and we need to keep them front and center. National Security Spokesman John Kirby there says uh, it was six F-16s from three different air bases that were launched to intercept the Cessna. Ninety-nine times out of 100, that's all it takes is a quick call on the radio. Hey, you're, 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 you're getting into some airspace you don't, you don't need to be in, and, and usually that takes care of it. And now we know, unfortunately, all of the people who were on board, one of them, 49-year-old Adina Azarian, accomplished real estate agent out in the Hamptons, her two-year-old daughter, along with their living nanny, and of course, the pilot, all uh, perishing in this crash. Uh, neighbors say they were just a lovely family. They were just such a wonderful, close-knit little family. I mean, they were really such a bright spot in the neighborhood. Very sweet. Always stop, say hello, and, you know, we'd, I'd pet the dog who'd come running. Adina Azarian leaves behind really heartbroken parents. Uh, they spoke to CBS News yesterday. They had actually lost a daughter already back in 1994. I never met a sweeter person than Adina. This is the second daughter I've lost. And she was the most wonderful human being I have ever met. We adopted her. Yeah, nobody should know such pain. John and Barbara Rumpel uh, say their other daughter, Victoria, died in a scuba diving accident back in 1994. And now they say this tragedy is just too much to bear. We'd like to thank everyone who has reached out with words of comfort. We're also very grateful for the efforts of the first responders and the FAA and the NTSB and the state police. The investigation, of course, by the NTSB will go on, but it won't, of course, change the outcome for those heartbroken parents and family members. And in China's uh, military, apparently becoming 
more aggressive in the Taiwan Strait and in the South China Sea. This is over the last couple of weeks, maybe even a month now. These are uh, part and parcel of uh, an increasing level of aggressiveness by uh, the PLA, the PRC's military. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby telling reporters yesterday a Chinese warship came dangerously close to a U.S. Navy destroyer over the weekend. Um, And sadly, this is just part, uh, again, of a growing aggressiveness by the PRC that we're that we're dealing with and we're prepared to address it. Kirby says uh, they're trying to keep the lines of communication open with China so this type of thing doesn't happen. Um, And we're going to continue to keep the lines open with the Chinese to make it clear how unacceptable those particular intercepts are. And the other big story back home here, uh, Governor Chris Christie going to launch his second campaign for a Republican nomination for president today up in New Hampshire. He's going to be the anti-Trump candidate in the race. That's how political analysts see it. For everyone else, from Ron DeSantis on down, has been trying to you know, tiptoe around Trump. Christie's the one saying, I am actually going to take Trump on. I'm going to criticize Trump. And he's hoping that there's a, there's a market for that. Yeah, and uh, voters kind of split in New Jersey whether they think she should even mount the run. He was a horrible governor. He'll make a horrible president. He is a big bully. He is concerned with America. He wants the best for our country. I hope, you know, he can do the best he can. Uh, interesting is a Monmouth University poll last week found his unfavorable rating at 47 percent. That's the highest of anybody who's either in the race or is going to jump into the race. That's among conservative or GOP leaning voters that were surveyed by Monmouth University. This is just a god awful story out of Connecticut. I almost want to just skip it. You know what? I'm going to skip it because it's just it's so awful. <laughs> I have lots of other stories that are more fun. A man from Queens has been identified as the lucky person who won the record-setting $476 million Mega Millions jackpot from April. Uh, He showed up to accept his check, and you no longer have to identify yourself. His name is Johnny Taylor. And uh, when the Mega Millions put up his picture, they released it yesterday. They had a sticker over his face because, you know, he knows everybody's going to show up at his house looking for money. Uh, he got a lump sum payment of $157 million. He just retired, 71 years old. He'd been a mechanic, a handyman in Manhattan. Uh, he says with his winnings, he wants to travel, buy a new home, replace his 2012 Prius with a newer model hybrid vehicle. He says he also plans to donate to his local church. So you might be asking, where does he get his tickets? That's always a big deal. People then will flock to this place to get one, thinking there'll be another winner. He bought his ticket at Liberty Beer and Convenience in Queens. That's a convenience store right near his local subway station. By the way, the 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 Liberty Beer and Convenience, they get a $10,000 check for selling the winning Mega Millions uh, $476 million ticket. And finally, uh, George Fletcher. He oversees the Long Island Railroad timetables. But more interesting than that is he is a fanatic for the price is right. And he was on the price is right when it was with Bob Barker 20 years ago. Here he describes what happened then. I have been watching Price is Right since I was a kid, like, like everybody else, everybody in America. It's just <laughs> a piece of Americana. You know, whether you're home sick from school or it's during the summertime, it's just it was always there. Yes. Yeah, so he was called down 21 years ago. Fletcher, come on down. 
And he made it to the showcase showdown, but he lost because he overbid on the actual retail price by $222. So back in the Barker days, you could not go back on the show. It was one time and that's it. But now with the new show, you can get back on the show. You can be in the audience and get called up. And guess what? He went back out to Hollywood and he was called back up and he bid 32. He made it all the way to the showcase showdown again. Okay. This guy's a freak for the show. And he won. He bid $32,300, and that was enough to win it all. There's a lot of, like, thinking and stewing until it actually happens. Is this going to happen or not? $32,300. All this time that I watch this show, it's just so worth it, not just for the for the prizes and the value of them, but just also to have been a small piece of this this 50-plus year um, piece of Americana. And Fletcher, who tells CBS he's such a freak for the show, he's now going to go out and go for a third appearance. Apparently, you can try as many times as you want now. 